I was 17 years old, <clears throat> and life was pretty good. I had a lot of friends. I had a job. I had an active social life. Things were just good. And all of that good stuff kept me really busy all throughout the week and on the weekend. And so it came time that Sunday afternoons became the time where I got my homework done. And on this particular weekend, I had to write an English paper. Not my favorite assignment, but I needed to bang this thing out because it was due first thing Monday morning. So I sat down and I thought about it and, and I got maybe two, three sentences in when my mom and my dad called my sister and I into the living room for a family meeting. We had never had a family meeting before, so this didn't bode well. And sure enough, we sat down and, and my parents kind of hem-hawed around for a little bit until finally they just came out. They said, we're getting a divorce. And I didn't even see it coming, guys. Like, it just was broadsided me. Because they didn't really fight, they didn't really argue. On the surface, everything seemed to be okay. And so this little bombshell, it just shattered my whole world. And it took me several hours to kind of process this and think, what is life going to be like now? And to kind of put myself back together. And, and not to make light of a bad situation, but somehow... Despite all of this, I still had to write an English paper that was due first thing Monday morning. You know, problems rarely come at convenient times. A lot of times they're intrusive and they encroach upon our lives. Rarely is a problem going to call you up to make sure your schedule is free and available and that you can fit it in. That's just not the way that problems work. And oftentimes those intrusive, interrupting kind of problems are the ones that hurt the most in life. The ones you see coming, at least you can brace yourself. But when they hit you like a Mack truck, man, it, that hurts. When you get laid off and you had no idea it was coming, or, or when somebody you care about, you find out has an addiction problem, or you find out you're sick and you're not going to get any better. These are the things that hurt the most in life. They are the interrupting, intrusive kinds of problems. But I need you to understand this morning that these kinds of problems have a hidden potential to be some of the most defining moments of our lives. Who I am today as a person, as an individual, was greatly shaped and influenced by my parents' divorce and the, the roles and the responsibilities that I took on as a result of that. My marriage today and my attitude about marriage has been shaped greatly by that problem from age 17. These problems have the potential to be defining moments in our lives. We started a series last week. It's called The Hidden Potential of Problems. You know, problems are not good things. Nobody is rejoicing over problems, and I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and tell you that your problems are blessings because they hurt. They're inconvenient. They're intrusive. They interrupt our lives. Problems are not good. However, in God's hands, our problems have a hidden potential to accomplish something ultimately good in our lives. And help us see this and understand what this looks like and, and, and how to identify it in our own lives. We've been looking at the story of a man named Joseph. And Joseph is a guy whose life was just filled with one problem after another. But through these problems, God works to accomplish something incredibly good in him and through him. And this morning, we're going to keep looking at the story of Joseph as we consider these intrusive, interrupting problems. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, why don't you open up to the book of Genesis chapter 39. 
That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have your Bible, don't sweat it. You can follow along on the screen behind. You can pull open the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device. It's the Y-O-U version. Download that. It's free. It doesn't cost you a dime. It's super helpful. Genesis chapter 39 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to learn a couple lessons from Joseph's story about these interrupting, intrusive problems. When they show up, lesson number one, when these intrusive, interrupting problems show up in your life, pay attention. It's going to be easy to get distracted by the immediacy, by the panic, by the pain, but perk up your ears and pay attention because this may very well be a defining moment in your life. Genesis 39, verse 1, starts like this. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. This verse reminds us that last we left Joseph, he was smack dab in the middle of a pretty major problem. His whole family, his brothers, had sold him into slavery. And this passage reminds us, this is not a good situation. He's not over in Egypt on vacation. The passage says he was taken there. And he's not just hanging out with Potiphar. It says he was purchased This is not a good situation. It's a pretty big problem. And yet, despite all of this, Joseph's life is going to kind of even out for a little bit and and hit kind of a rhythm. Look at verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing, you notice that word keeps showing up a lot there. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph's care, in Joseph's care, everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph is in this situation, not a good situation, but things kind of level out. And eventually Joseph hits one of those sweet spots of life. You know what I'm talking about, where everything just seems to be coming up aces, everything's going your way. You know, like things are good at work, your family is in a healthy and peaceful time. You know, the weather outside is nice, not like today, but the weather outside is nice. You know, it's just those seasons of life where everything is going good. We love those, those sweet spots of life. That's where Joseph finds himself. But notice that he didn't find himself there just because he was so talented or because he was just so gifted. That word, blessed, God was with Joseph. God blessed Joseph. God blessed everything that he touched. That phrase shows up four out of five verses. That's, that's reminding us here that the reason things were so good for Joseph in his life was because God was standing beside him. And God was walking with him through this problem. Man, that's, that's what the sweet spots of life are all about. God is blessing us. He's walking with us. We are experiencing the joy of his favor. But what happens when you find yourself in one of those sweet spots of life for too long? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a little cynical. But I start to get a little suspicious. Like maybe around the next corner, there's going to be some problem. Something's going to go wrong eventually. We wait for the other shoe to drop. Check out what happens in verse 6 in Joseph's story. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Behold, the other shoe. 
There is this new problem in Joseph's life because here is this very powerful and influential woman who can make a ton of trouble for him saying, I would like to get a piece of that steak. Why don't you come to my bedroom, Joseph? I like the way you look. What's he going to do in this situation? He could do the right thing. He could say, no, I, I, can't, I can't betray my master's trust. That could cause problems for him. He could go sleep with her. That's going to cause problems for him. This is a pretty serious problem in Joseph's life. The question is, what is Joseph going to do? This is a testing moment, a defining moment, because up to this point, God has walked with Joseph. God has been faithful to Joseph, and now the question is, would Joseph reciprocate? Would Joseph stand by God now that things were fine, now that life was in that sweet spot? It's a test, a defining moment in his life. And really, this isn't unusual. When we look at the broader story of Scripture, we see that God is kind of in the habit of testing his people, oftentimes through the problems in their lives. Since we're in Genesis, you think about Abraham for a minute. Back in Abraham, back in the book of Genesis chapter 22, Abraham has this son named Isaac, his only son, this son that God promised him, this son that, that Abraham waited 20 some odd years to receive. He has him and God says, Abraham, I want you to take this precious special boy up to the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. Now that sounds like a pretty big problem. Why would God do that? Well, it's right there in the opening line of Genesis chapter 22. It says, sometimes later, God tested Abraham. Nothing was going to happen to that kid. This was a test to see if Abraham would walk with God. You look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is reflecting over the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And he's preaching to the Israelites, this time where they had to rely on God for everything from their shelter to their food to their water. And Moses says to them, here's the reason God did this. It was to, quote, Humble and test you. Would you be faithful to the God that was faithful to you? Even in the life of Jesus, book of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus is wandering in the desert. He's tempted by Satan for 40 days. And that word that's used, I think it's verse 12, verse 13, somewhere in there, for, for tempted, it can also be translated as, and probably should be translated as, tested Testing is a pretty normal thing in God's repertoire. He tests his people, oftentimes through the problems in their life. So the next time one of those interrupting, intrusive problems encroaches upon your life, pay attention. God may have just handed you a pop quiz. And I'm not saying God causes our problems. What I am saying is God can make some pretty good lemonade out of the lemons that life throws our way. He can use our problems for something ultimately good. And sometimes that good is to test us. Will we be faithful to the God who's faithful to us? We'll talk about those tests a little bit later, but right now I don't want to lose track of Joseph because we kind of left him on a cliffhanger, didn't we? Because here's this woman saying, Joseph, come to bed with me. What's he going to do? Is he going to pass the test? Look at verse 8. It says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then, listen to this, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her uh, or even be with her. So Joseph passes the test. He says, lady, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to betray my master's trust, yes, but ultimately his concern here is, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
Joseph seems to recognize that God has walked with him, God has blessed him, God has been in his corner throughout this whole ordeal. And Joseph wants to be faithful to the God that was faithful to him. He understands that my actions, my decisions, how I respond to this problem are not just going to affect my immediate surroundings. It's going to affect my relationship with the Lord Almighty. He passes the tests. So things should get better for Joseph now, right? Because he chose the right course. I mean, life's going to get easy, it's going to get into one of those sweet spots again, and things are going to be smooth sailing again, right? Because that's the way things work. No. No, actually, it's quite the opposite. Look what happens. Verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me. He ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help... He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She just sounds so noble there, doesn't she? When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. If I didn't know any better, I would say Joseph's story just got a whole lot worse. He has a new, bigger problem in his life because now he's in prison with some pretty serious charges on his record. But I thought things were going to get better for Joseph because he chose the right course of action. He did what he was supposed to do, so why is life still so complicated? I think we all know that, that that's not really the way that things work. You know, you, you make the right choice. You choose to be faithful to God. And sometimes we do expect that life will get easier or get simpler. But it doesn't always. Sometimes being faithful makes life more complicated. And we might question, you know, did it work? Is God angry at me? Did I do the right thing? The answer to all those questions is the negative. Nothing's wrong. God's not angry. You you didn't mess up. The thing is that being faithful sometimes makes life more complicated. Passing the test is not a pass out of problems. Growing up, the, the guy that lived across the street from us, his name was Mr. Stanley. He uh, he's a super great guy. He let me fish in the pond behind his house. It really has nothing to do with the story. He just he was a great guy. But Mr. Stanley went to our church, so I knew him pretty well, and I knew when he was going through a hard time. You see, there was this factory in my hometown. It was one of the major employers. It closed down, and he and several hundred other people lost their jobs. It was a pretty big problem. But Mr. Fitch Stanley was faithful. He prayed. He trusted God, and he found a new job. He was going to be an over-the-road trucker. And he seemed to like it well enough, it was going to be good pay, but then there was a a problem that arose because his supervisors were telling him, look, we need you to make X number of runs, we need you to make sure you're getting things there on time, so we need you to fudge some numbers in your logbook. That was the the kindest thing they told him to do. There were some flat-out dangerous and illegal things they expected him to do in this job, and and so he had a bit of a problem on his hands because Mr. Stanley was a man of integrity. He was a man that believed that honesty was important to God, so he could kill his conscience and keep his job, or he could be faithful and he could quit. And so he chose option B. He quit his job. He chose the right path. He passed the test. 
And you would hope that life got easier for Mr. Stanley for that, but it didn't. He was unemployed for months. And when he did find a job, it was a job that paid half as much. He, he was driving a school bus for the local school district, and he loved it. But it was hard. Passing the test is not a pass out of problems. It is hard to be a person of integrity in a world that does not have integrity. Our problems are complicated, and sometimes being faithful makes life complicated too. But notice, notice that this is not the end of Joseph's story here. Yes, he's in prison, but there's a little bit more to his tale to tell. Look at that. It says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. God didn't overlook Joseph's faithfulness. Joseph passed the test. He had stood by God, and God would continue to stand by him, support him, being in his corner. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God continued to stand by Joseph and his situation got a little bit better. He's still in prison, still one of the low points of his life, but you know what? God was with him, and he was making it through okay. What's really interesting is that this low point of his life is actually exactly where Joseph needed to be. Next week, we're going to continue his story. We're going to see how in prison he meets the people responsible for his rise to greatness. If you remember last week, if you know the story of Joseph, you know that God has a plan for this guy's life. He is going to rule over a nation and he's going to meet the people that are going to bring him to that position here in prison. This problem put him exactly where he needed to be. But it did more than that, too. Because if Joseph is going to rule over a nation, how could he do a good job of that if he can't even rule over himself? If he can't manage his own lusts, his own desires, how in the world is he going to manage an entire kingdom? You see, this test did more than just put him where he needed to be. This test made him who he needed to be. God had a dream for Joseph's life that was a whole lot bigger than just what he would do. He had a dream for who he would become. And he used problems to shape him into that man. That's Joseph's story. We're going to put pause on his story for this morning. We're going to take some of the lessons from that, that episode. We're going to start to apply it to our own lives because we got problems here and now, don't we? Man, apparently not because you guys are silent. We got problems, right? And problems stink. Nobody likes problems. They hurt, they're uncomfortable, they're inconvenient, they intrude upon our lives. Problems are not good things, but problems have a hidden potential in God's hands. Sometimes our problems can be defining moments in our lives. They test us. And every test, no matter what kind of test it is, it's got the same goal in mind. Tests are designed to reveal the truth. You take a test in school, a history test, a math test. It's going to show how much of the material you truly grasp. You go to the hospital, you have an MRI, you have a test done. It's going to show what's truly happening in your body. And these problems, these tests in life, they reveal what's truly going on in our hearts, who we really are, because when the problems come, when life gets hard, when it's difficult, that's when we really see what we're made out of. When the chips are down, how we respond to the trials of life says a lot about what's going on in our hearts. I read a blog from a, a pastor in Canada. His name's Kerry Newhoff. It spells it really weird, but Kerry Newhoff. 
He tells a story, the opening line of this blog post. He says, I almost got in a fist fight today. Not a typical thing a preacher says, but he tells a story. He's at his son's hockey game, and there is this obnoxious parent from the other team sitting a couple rows in front of them. And this parent was just being rude, and he was being loud. But then he started to yell at Carrie's son, and he crossed the line there. Carrie set up. He said, hey, man, leave my son out of this. Well, the guy stood up and turned around, kind of big guy. He got nose to nose to Carrie. They started to shout back and forth. The fists started to clench. And then Carrie remembered something. There are other people here watching. And he kind of laughs about that, but he says, you know, that moment revealed something to me. Because I really don't know. If those people hadn't been there, I really don't know what I would have done. It revealed that I still have some anger that I need to work through. And there are still parts of my life that need Jesus to touch them and to heal them. Tests, these problems, they reveal the truth about what's going on in our hearts. But they do something else important too. They also reveal to us the parts of our lives that still need to be shaped and changed in order to become the kind of people that Jesus dream, or that God dreams us to be. Because Joseph is not the only one that God has a dream for. God has a dream for your life too. And it's not so much a dream about what you will do or where you will live or who you will marry, but it's a dream of who you will become. He has created you. He has saved you through Jesus for a purpose. Not to walk in the old ways of sin, but to be a person like Jesus Christ that loves the way that he loves, that acts the way that he acts, that thinks the way that he thinks, that relates with other people, the way that he related with other people. That's God's dream for our life, the pattern that he has set out for us. Christ has rescued us out of sin, out of guilt, out of shame, and he hit the reset button on our life so that we can walk a new path, and we take steps forward on that path by becoming more like Jesus. And the thing that shows us oftentimes what that next step looks like are the tests and the problems in our lives. I want you to imagine this morning two loops. Okay, one of them is a loop labeled familiar. The other is a loop labeled faithful. A lot of times we live our lives on this loop labeled familiar. We have familiar patterns in our life. See if this sounds familiar to any of you. Any of you wake up about the same time every day, eat something pretty familiar for breakfast, you go to the same job that you've had for X number of years, you do that same job, you eat lunch with a familiar group of people that you've eaten with for X number of years, you get off, you come home, probably to a house that you lived in, a very familiar house you've lived in for several years, you do the same household chores you got to do every night, then you sit down, you watch a very familiar television program, go to bed at a very familiar time, wake up and do the, so the same familiar thing day in and day out. Does that sound like anybody else's life out there? Yeah? We live our lives on this loop of familiarity. Here's the thing. There are some pretty familiar things in our lives that do not honor God and that do not look like Jesus. Some of those familiar words that we use might make God blush if he's in the room. Fellas, some of those familiar websites that we visit might make our wives weep. Some of those familiar thoughts in our heads might make Jesus shed a tear. There are some familiar things in our lives that do not honor God and that need to be changed. And that's where problems come in. You got this loop. There should be a diagram back here. 
got this red X right there. We're living our lives on this loop of familiarity, and all of a sudden, boom, a problem shows up. And we might be caught off guard, and we might think, oh, this is terrible, this is horrible. But here's the thing. This is a test. This is a potential defining moment in your life. Will you choose what is familiar, or will you choose what is faithful? Will you choose a new path? Will you choose a new word? Will you go to different websites? Will you think different thoughts? Will you respond in a more faithful way that looks like Christ Jesus? Let me give you an example from my own life, what this looks like. I don't know. I haven't lived your life, so I can't look into your story and, and tell you what this looks like. But for me, one of my big struggles throughout really my adolescence and, and up till five years ago was, was trusting God with my money. You know, I tithed, I gived faithfully, but I worried all the time. And when I say I worry, I wasn't like, oh, no, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, like, sinfully, I worried about stuff to the point that I lost sleep, I lost hair. It was ridiculous. You know, not having a lot of money, a problem comes up, and what's the first thing you do? You think, oh no, how am I going to cover this? And a lot of times, those problems showed up in our lives in the form of car trouble. We had one car for a long time, so we needed to keep it running so we could both get to work. And it would never fail. It'd be like the dead of winter, 30 below, and all of a sudden, my battery dies. Or a sensor goes out. Or I got a flat tire. And you know, you, you go along this loop of familiarity, just as we normally do, and boom, Car trouble. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay this? And I had a choice. I could be faithful or I could do what was familiar and worry and fret. You know what happens? Being a Bible college student, being in the Word every day, working with kids, teaching them about Jesus. You know what I chose to do in those moments? I chose to sinfully worry, right? Because I'm a human being. I did what was familiar to me. And there's a funny thing. If you choose to stay on this loop of familiarity, it might be six days, it might be six months, it might be six years. Chances are good. You're going to come back around to a very similar kind of problem again. And God's going to give you another opportunity, another test to choose what is faithful. So for me, it would be going around this loop. All of a sudden, a sensor goes out in the car. What am I going to do? I worry and I fret and I choose what's familiar. And come back around, all of a sudden, you know what? The battery dies in the car. What am I going to do? Am I going to be faithful or, or am I going to do what's familiar? And I stayed on this loop forever until one day I finally woke up and realized, wait a minute, I have a promise from Jesus himself that says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, sensors, batteries, tires, all these things will be added unto you as well. I've got a promise, so why am I worrying so much? And it's like a switch flipped in my head. And I made a choice to stop doing what was familiar and to start doing what was actually faithful. Now, that doesn't mean I just threw my hands up in the air and said, I don't know, Jesus, take the wheel. You'll figure it out. I still work. did what I was supposed to do. But my attitude throughout this whole ordeal was very different. I kept all my hair, which was a great start. You know, worry wasn't part of the equation anymore. We have these opportunities in our lives when problems show up. Will we do what is familiar or will we do what is faithful? Will we take another step forward in becoming the people that God dreams us to be, people like Jesus? I hate problems. I really, really do. I get plans in my head. I would love it if the plans just worked out the way I thought them, but they never do because problems show up. And I'm sure you feel the same way. But these problems are not wastes of time when they're in God's hands. They have a hidden potential to shape us and to form us into the people he dreams us to be. This week, you are going to have a problem. I promise you. 
If you don't, come tell me your secret because I'm going to write it in a book and make a lot of money. You are going to have a problem. And I want to invite you this week, when you have that problem, perk up your ears, pay attention, and take a step back and ask yourself, God, what in me needs to change? Is there some familiar behavior? Is there some familiar thought pattern? Is there some familiar response that deserves to be changed so I can do better, so I can be the person you dream me to be? I want to challenge you to do that this week. There's, a, there's one passage. I don't often do this, but I would encourage you to memorize this passage because it's basically our sermon in a nutshell. It's Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, test me, reveal in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's my prayer for you guys this week. Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for how you work on our lives. We thank you for how you shape us and form us, how you give us grace upon grace that we might look more like Christ each and every day. Father, it's when we find ourselves in that pattern of life that we find the joy you have promised, the peace, the patience the love that we experience in, in every relationship. Father, we experience your blessings as we look like Christ. So I pray that for us. I pray that, that would be our pursuit. I pray that that would be our mission, that we would seek to look more like him in all of our ways, whether it be speech, whether it be actions, whether it be thoughts, whether it be relationships, Lord. And I ask that you use our problems to shape us into those people. May we humble ourselves before you. May we trust you in those moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.